a well-supported Cape market, Panamax is on a good run, a steep correction for iron ore. All this and more on Freight Up. Hello, Freight Up listeners. It's Fernanda, and I'm back from Romania, where I was slaying vampires. This week, the Ferris complex is looking, well, complex. So we're going to be listening to How Pay and James Robinson break down some of that complexity for us. Ace Smith 7, your favorite oil broker, will be here with all of your oil news. And Carrie Deal comes at you with the Freight Update. All this and more on Freight Up. Freight Up! There's a lot of news floating around, specifically around crude. Yeah, I mean, well, price-wise, before today, we hadn't broken kind of 86.60 level in the future for months. So basically, last week, there was a bit of a rally. We were touching around 86.60. I think that was roughly where the higher was. Struggled to, to break past that. That was kind of quite a firm level of resistance. And those were the highest levels we'd seen since mid-April. So quite a substantial amount of time. Whereas today we have just surpassed those levels. I'm going to use Ed's numbers here. Brilliant technical analyst, Ed Hutton. He he gave today in his morning report a primary resistance of 86.73. When I left my desk, we were trading around 86.80. So we've kind of, yeah, we've broken his first resistance level there. So yeah, there's there's definitely a push in the crude. I think a lot of it is the same news. What's maybe spurred today's rally is EIA data. Well, it wasn't data, it was, uh, well, it is data, I suppose, but EIA report that came out, which painted the US economic situation in quite a rosy light. They increased their uh, GDP growth prediction to 1.9% for the year, I believe. And they also increased their uh, average Brent price for 2023 to $86, so, which is a $7 increase from the previous forecast. Uh, so, you know, both of those are kind of, you know, positive outlook, fills the market with more confidence and has pushed prices up quite substantially this morning. But I mean, I mean we, you know, we are seeing, to add to that, we are still seeing some downward pressure as well. Chinese crude imports have hit some very low levels in June. Yeah, so there is still some downward pressure that could be limiting those, those gains that we're seeing. Kind of weak outlook for China with crude imports at some, some low levels for June, and a, a stronger dollar as well. You know, when the dollar's stronger, Holders of foreign currency have less buying power for oil. And all oil at the moment is traded in dollars. So when the dollar's stronger, you know, we can buy less oil for the same amount of buck, which decreases the price of oil. So that, you know, those are a couple of downward pressures still there to kind of act as a counterbalance to the rally. I mean, I I think the the situation we're in at the minute is very much a pendulum. You know, what it swings one day to, oh, Demand worries, you know, there's no demand, blah, blah, blah. And then it will swing the next day to, oh, there's no supply, price up. It's very to and fro at the minute. It's quite a limbo. Like being in a toxic relationship. You just never know where you stand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) One day you love it, one day you hate it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what's going on in the world of fuel oil? Yeah, fuel oil, I mean, the market structure has softened quite a bit from last week. Last week, we, we had a bit of a madness. I can't remember if I spoke about it on last week's podcast, but there were some crazy rallies in the low sulfur cracks. I think it was last Tuesday or last Wednesday. They rallied like two bucks in a day or over two bucks in a day, which is seriously substantial for a crack. I think it traded uh, the front month seeing 0.5 crack. Crack being the, uh, it's actually the differential of the crude against the price of the products of the crude. 
and you know that crack was trading i think upwards of twelve dollars fifty that softened this week to around ten dollars fifty kind of gradually that softened uh the spreads as well the sync point five spreads they rallied like five bucks last week up to thirteen dollars again we're down kind of between nine and ten market's been quite well defined there this week around that level you know nine bid ten off i've been trading between there a little bit of a little bit outside as well but we've not seen any major major shifts in the spread since last week I've just come a little bit weaker from last week's highs uh and today obviously it's a sing holiday which has sucked quite a lot of liquidity out of the market happy holiday to all of our singaporean yeah, listeners 100 percent, yeah archie loves you i do yeah <laughs> but you know it, it shows what how much of an influence Singapore has on the market and, and the Asian market in general, because, you know, when they're out, it really does just almost come to a halt. Not completely, but it's... A lot of it's, paper it's, planes it's, flying around yeah, the office today. Yeah, it's, it's no, a lot of football chat. <laughs> <laughs> it How's is West Ham doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just made a couple of new signings, actually, so that's exciting. Oh, wow, that's yeah, why you have a little yeah. bit of a pep in your set today. Yeah, huh? Exactly. So anything substantial today, uh, the high soul for East West. Mm has been sold off quite a lot. It settled last night at minus $2. It sold down to minus 5 So today, quite a substantial sell-off in the high sell for East West, down 3 bucks to minus 5 uh, having settled last night at minus 2 And this means that the high sell for uh, Singapore products is trading at a discount to the high sell for European products. Why might that be? Potentially because of the high inflows of high sulfur into the Asian market at the minute. Like I've mentioned the uh, past couple of weeks, high demand for, for feedstock, a lot of power generation demand as well in that region, particularly Middle East. And uh, yeah, there, there is ample inflows of high sulfur into that region at the minute, which could be putting downward pressure on that price, hence sinking the east-west into negative territory. All right, Archie, it's time for the infamous question. Yes, I've got a few numbers for this. Yeah. <laughs> as he scrambles to unlock his iPhone. <laughs> I think definitely keep an eye on this crude rally. Like I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to use Ed, Ed's numbers again, we, we broke that 86.73 resistance level. He's got the next one pinned at 87.86. So, you know, if crew continues to, to tick up towards that level and we end up breaking that resistance, you know, we could really see maybe potentially above 90. Crew's the one to look out for this week for sure. We'll have to keep an eye out yeah, on that. And keep, keep those figures in mind. All right, Archie. Well... This is my favorite part of uh, the working week, as always. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. Thoroughly enjoyed. See you next week. Now, Iron Ore with James Robinson. What's been happening? So the major news story of the week so far has been the fact that China has slipped into deflation. Uh, so that, that sounds like a bad word. Yeah, it's not ideal. It makes servicing debt a little bit harder and it also tends to imply that people put off spending as they anticipate prices coming low in the future. So CPI came in 0.3% lower, which is the first decline since 2020, so the first in three years. So what we would typically expect in an era of deflation is consumers offset spending as they expect prices to come lower. In turn, producers cut production because you know you can't flog this stuff because no one's willing to buy it because they expect it to be cheaper in a couple of months time so the problems we've outlined in the property sector could heighten those issues associated with deflation people cut spending in anticipation for lower prices but at the same time their assets are 
the material assets in terms of house prices are going down. So people are feeling considerably poorer. Uh, and you also have the issue with youth unemployment. So it's a bit of a triple entente in terms of consumer woes. Those theoretical issues uh, associated with deflation could be made considerably worse by the issues that we see in the property sector. So as house prices continue to fall, uh, people feel materially poorer because the biggest asset they own uh, is now worth less. So the incentive is then to cut back spending further. Uh, You've also got considerable problems, particularly in the youth labour market with 21% youth unemployment. And that is beginning to filter into the data. So the other big news of the week is the import-export data that printed on Tuesday. Both are down quite considerably. So these problems that we see for Chinese consumers are now beginning to filter through into the hard data. So the other big story of the week from an iron ore perspective was the import-export data that we had out of China on Tuesday. Both are down pretty considerably on the import side. We were expecting a drop in imports of 5.6% year to date, and that actually came in at 12.4% down year to date. So that is a really, really significant miss. And that backs up what we're saying about, you know, reduced consumer demand from China. Specifically on iron ore, imports were down 2.1% in July, uh, which is a three-month low and in line with the production cuts we saw on steel. Affect the futures at all? Yeah, so obviously the fall off in price has been pretty significant, you know, very much the headline figure. So two weeks ago, we hit a high of 116.5, and yesterday we closed out just above the $100 mark at 100 spot 05. So obviously a really, really aggressive move. In combination with that, we've also seen a big uptick in volumes. With a move this aggressive, we would expect quite a lot of short covering. So, you know, people just profit taking. On the flip side, as this move was so aggressive, you know, we have seen quite a few people just looking to liquidate their their position and just wait for the market to calm down a little bit before taking another directional move. Particularly in the last few days, we've seen a real uptick in liquidity at the back of the curve. So... Cal 2425 and 2526, as well as the Cal 25 outrights, have seen a massive uptick in interest. The Cal spreads over the tail end of last week and into this week have been trading in clips as large as 10kt a month, which is really quite significant. So in terms of the actual tenors that we've seen trading, at the front we've seen a huge amount of selling interest on the front spreads. So, you know, AugSEP, AugOx, those kind of tenors. And we've also seen a real uptick in liquidity at the back of the curve as well. So Cal 25, 26 and Cal 24, 25 have both seen pretty sizable liquidity in clips of up to 10kt a month, which is a pretty significant trade. But we've also seen the back trading as outright. So we've had quite a lot of interest, particularly on the Cal 25. So in times of high volatility in the iron ore market, we do typically see quite a big spike in interest in uh, back-end tenors, uh, and that will typically die down once the market sort of stabilizes a little bit. So what are we expecting to see in the week ahead? So futures are up on the day. So we tra- we closed out with SEP trading at 101.40 today, which is nearly a dollar and a half higher than uh, yesterday's close. That said, 
the Singapore national holiday has taken a real hit on liquidity. You know, there's been very little trading over the course of the day. So that would probably explain, you know, the rally despite all the bad news. So a further fall is definitely, definitely on the cards. And it wouldn't surprise me if we continue to see those volumes trading. In spite of whatever volatility lies ahead, James will be here to soldier on. I certainly will be. (laughs) Fantastic to have you on as always, James. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. See you next week. So how you're going on vacation very soon to escape the blistering heat of Shanghai. You expect the rest of the market to do the same. Yeah, I that's what people thought about when they're on holiday. They think the market, they hope the market could be quiet, but things <laughs> always because like reverse, like when people leave their leave their death, the market's gonna be crazy. But when they're back, markets be quiet again. <laughs> it's very weird. It's like all through twenty twenty three when I'm leaving for any reason. Could be sick leave, could be conference leave, could be vacation. Every time I left the office, it looks like the market is going to a crazy mode. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's your fault. Anytime the market goes crazy, it's because you're taking a day off or you're away for a conference. You mentioned earlier that you were expecting August to be a bit quiet. Why is that? I, I think as previously, like we said, the market can be all through the year, be like world of caster, be very volatile all through the year. It got to have some quiet period because August is traditionally a quiet period for less demand and less supply and construction side and downstreams. They need to take a rest in extreme weather. It's just similar to Christmas time to Chinese holiday, that period. So that too period of time are traditionally quite season of the year. And plus, we just witnessed a huge move on iron ore, a huge spike on iron ore in July and June, and then a big correction from the high by 10%. It's actually over 10% from early. So I'm expecting after the big... Yeah, exactly. 10.61%. So I'm just generally expecting after few big movement, the market potentially become a little bit quiet after that. And speaking on the correction, do you think that this is a sustainable or, you know, persisting correction for the rest of key um, Yeah, it's a very interesting question. First of all, let's go with the most recent news. We see the intraday movement or the intraday correction today or yesterday, it's all behind the news that the country garden, which is a big house developer in China, they missed the two dollar bond payment total 22.5 million US dollars. Well, although the country garden says it's just liquidity stress in short run, and they're going to use 30 day crease period to pay the coupons. However, obviously the market doesn't buy this. The market still like act like a correction. It still like play a concerning mode on the default of the health developers. Well, for a little bit longer period of time, it's because the correction was more due to a little bit crowded position in both FGX and DCE. 
they all witnessed a year-high position, to which could mean there are too many gamblers in this game. Because physical traders should clearly know there was a production restriction in July in China, and production control over H2 2023, plus a light season in August. So they need to leave the market at some point. Not long, but at some point right now or before today or before last week. So, and moreover, and the hot weather hit most of the areas in Asia. And in China, there's a heavy rain, which caused the flood in Hebei province. So that all combined, that all become contributors to pull back the performance of a ferrous complex because that means less construction site works and a little bit low efficiency on the uh, infrastructure project, naturally. It really sounds and like I it think, was the perfect storm. Yes, exactly. It's very extreme weather. It's all through Asia. Like, it's the same circumstance in India, and it's a similar circumstance in Indonesia and Malaysia. So, I mean, it's, a, it's actually storm modes in, in August for the, in the Pacific area. So it, it believes we, we actually see an FFA growth during the past two weeks because the capacity is really limited on the sea. So that's all became uh, very relevant. So it sounds like we're going to have at least a few quiet weeks. Anything else that we should be looking out for within the Ferris complex? I think, first of all, from my point of view, I don't know supply structure has been optimized during the past month by importing less premium mid-grade and more discount and low-grade fires. And steel margin are touched year-high. It's very healthy. So I think the correction should be slowed down. That's what I think. That's why I'm thinking the market should be probably entering a flat period of time because it looks like there's a balanced supply and demand in the next couple of weeks. And I think the most interesting thing is that the macro market has a very tight connections or we say correlations with the commodities market, in particular in 2023. And the correlation could be even higher than the past year. I think the big round of repounds from early June and July across the major commodities were mainly relying on improving expectations in major economies, including China and U.S. and Europe, and the removal of some trade barriers and, and more agreement signed and conferences and treaties and actions to support economies and consumptions, which was always considered a, a leading indicator of an economy. Etc. However, the current correction in August was actually, uh, from the macro standpoint, it's more impacted by at the time investors started to wait and see more industrial change and more supporting factors into the policies and economies that started to look into the minor side of economies and they feel like a little bit uh, disappointed or they feel like they don't want to wait. So that caused the correction. So I think the, the most interesting thing for all the traders, analysts, and the average stakeholders of the market is they have to look at the macro side of the view 
at first. And then they go ahead and go deeper and analyze the fundamentals or technical side, different angles of the market. They can't just leave macro and say, this is an iron ore market. Uh, they need to study and learn about all the relevant market and started to learn about all the strategies, policies in different countries of the world and wh what's happening on the hotlines of the day. I think the most interesting fact, the most interesting thing right now, <laughs> that all I want to say about uh, outside the market. Well, there you have it, folks. Sage advice from How Pay. Here's your freight update from Carrie Deal. All right, Carrie. So I hear you're trying to shed your reputation of being a bit of a bad news bear. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to shed my perma bear reputation. Uh, <laughs> Let's hear it. Come at it. <laughs> well, look, this is the second time now I've come on with news that is not all bad. Record breaking. I know. In <laughs> fact, the Cape market has been relatively well supported, if range bound, for the past couple of weeks. I said on the 26th of July, the last time I was on here, that despite a couple of green shoots, the fundamentals did not really seem strong enough to take the market too far up. And in the main, I actually stand by that. The Baltic Exchange Cape 5TC average was 14,379 on that day. Today, it is 14,526. Mm. So while we have had some pretty consistent supports at these levels, the market has not really been able to break out of this range. But let's start with the positives in the market. China's coal, iron ore, and soybean imports totaled a robust, very strong, in fact, 142.5 million tons, according to Commodore Research last month. This was down month on month from June to July by 3.2 million tons or 2%, but is actually up year on year 19.9 million tons or 16%. So that's looking pretty strong. Any other specific growth areas that we should be looking at? Well, within that, I think the standout area is Australian thermal coal exports to China. They have recovered very well, and the Cape sizes have been the main beneficiary of this. The monthly volumes of Australian thermal coal carried on Capes have risen from an average of 5.9 million tons in Q1 of this year to 9.1 million tons in July. Now, the bad news. With support like this so healthy, we would really want to see rates climbing a little bit more than what we've seen. Healthier fixing volumes out of Brazil this week have thinned that tonnage list, but sentiment, macro sentiment, I would say, really overall remains very bearish. Today's news that China has slipped back into deflation has only darkened the picture a bit more. All right. Couldn't be all positive. <laughs> no, no, never. So what should we be looking for in the coming week? I would say look for support down the line as we move into Q4 from increased West African bauxite exports. I think I mentioned that a little bit last time. Things to be cautious of, really mainly still that downside risk from China. You know, will they maintain this level of imports? And how's the paper looking? On the paper, volumes have been relatively unexciting, typical for August. <laughs> September Cape 5 TC paper is valued 15400 at the moment on FIS Live, while the Q4 predictably a touch stronger. I think expectations are always a little stronger for that Q4, sitting at 16,200 value now. Now, time for my favorite segment of yours. <laughs> How are the Panamaxes? Panamaxes have had a good run of it lately, relatively good run of it. The Baltic 5TC average finally climbing back into five digit territory last Thursday, with a steady grind upwards really over the past week. The North Atlantic has been maybe the sunniest area of all that TA inquiry, very active TA inquiry, keeping things ticking upwards. 
Front haul demand has not been quite as high, but you know, it's still there and it's still growing. Things to look out for a growing tonnage list off the continent is still a concern. But for now, rates look supported at these levels, maybe even able to tick up a touch further. East Coast South America has been more active as of late, and rates on the P6 route, that is, delivery Singapore for a grain round voyage via East Coast South America, they have ticked above $12,000. The Pacific has also been looking up, with no-pack rounds heard fixing this week between $8,500 and $9,500 a day. And Inquiry has finally, on that no-pack, for those no-pack rounds, gotten a lot busier. So that is all looking fairly supported and healthy, actually. Fantastic. And the paper? The paper has largely been ticking up slowly in line with the physical market. I would say it has struggled over the past couple of days to get above the $11,000 mark on that front month 4TC contract. Some doubts may be creeping in a little bit about how much further the market can push, especially if those capes aren't moving up too much themselves. That might cap the Panamax a little bit. The Q4 today, again, touch stronger, 11650 on FIS Live. Fantastic. Thank you for that even-handed positivity, Carrie. And uh, you, we get you for another week, but then after that, you're going to be shooting around the globe. Yeah, then I'm traveling again. So you'll, we'll, we'll find somebody to sub in. Exactly. No, but uh, to, to, uh, who I'm sure can give an excellent commentary to. So, yeah. Wonderful. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Well, that's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, if you miss us too much, visit our website, FreightUpPodcast.com to check out show notes, listen to old episodes, or leave us a comment. We'll see you next time. Freight Up! Up.